Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith. And if you haven't already, make sure you click the subscribe button and share this episode with your friends on social media and tag me in it at JaybirdFit. Today, I have a very special guest for you from Frequency Martial Arts in Bloomington, Illinois, Coach Ed Lamanier. Coach Ed, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you share your personal journey and background in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with the audience and what drew you to that particular martial art? Yeah, um, actually back in 1994, I was 18. I had a friend of mine who was training martial arts at a local school uh, in our hometown. Um, it wasn't Jiu-Jitsu. Um, it was a Korean martial art called Hapkido. Um, I just fell in love with what he was showing me at work. I mean, this was a time before smartphones. Um, so, you know, you found other ways to occupy yourself when it was slow at work. Um, and then after about maybe two years, that's when I first heard of uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And that's where, like, everyone was like, what is this Brazilian jiu-jitsu? This, this little guy, Hoist Gracie, came in and he, like, demolished everybody. There was a, a school that just popped up in my hometown offering jujitsu. So I was about 20 years old at the time. Um, and then shortly after I started training, I went off to Illinois State University uh, for college. Um, I dabbled a little bit in their martial arts program there. And then, you know, I was about two years out of training martial arts since I was at college. Um, I stayed in Bloomington Normal. Uh, I found a martial arts school that offered um, jujitsu, um, but it ended up closing. Um, and then about maybe another year, year and a half, um, there was a guy uh, at the gym that I was lifting weights at who put up a flyer saying that, you know, he was going to offer jujitsu Tuesday and Thursday nights at the gym. Um, and it was free to try out. So I started training with him. This is back in 2000, 2007. Uh, trained with him. We'd have to, you know, roll out the mats. And then when class was over, we'd clean the mats, roll the mats back up, stick them in a corner so nobody would walk across them with the shoes that they had on yeah. the street. Um, I had no interest whatsoever uh, in running a martial arts school. I've always been interested in just training. We jumped around to different locations, training jujitsu. And then finally, um, you know, after about two years of having our own academy, uh, we had nine guys on the mats. Um, the owner called me up one day and he said, Hey, I'm burnt out. There's not a lot of interest in jujitsu in Bloomington. So I'm going to close the school down and focus on my full-time job. You know, I talked to my wife, she gave me, you know, the green light to, to pursue uh, purchasing the school. So, you know, took the money out of our savings account and I had 30 days to start putting that money back in. And if it meant I have to sell off some of the mats to to get that money back, that's what I needed to do. Um, just, you know, hit the ground running. Um, the day I bought the school, advertised the hell out of it um, using, you know, radio, social media. And within 30 days, I had the money back in the savings account. So my wife was happy that the business was paying for itself. Um, and then over time, it was just, you know, focusing on the atmosphere of the school, what people were looking for when they were coming to train. Um, you know, I did things where I rented out mad space to other people that were training different styles of martial arts. Um, that really became an issue with the insurance policy, um, the cleanliness of the school. So when the opportunity came for me to move to this new location, you know, it was you know strictly jujitsu. There were more people that were interested in training multiple times a week than there were, hey, I want to train kickboxing or I want to train judo or I want to train taekwondo. Um, so, you know, Frequency Martial Arts started in 2015 underneath the Center Street Bridge in downtown Bloomington. And uh, we moved to our current location at 18 Currency Drive in Bloomington back in April of 2018. That is such an amazing. That's such an amazing story. And you do run an extremely clean school. That is something that I, I think is really important. I, and certainly one of the things that attracted me 
to where you are. What are some of the fundamental principles that make Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu unique compared to the other martial arts? All martial arts are good, right? But like when I first started, um, we had Hapkido and then we had the other Korean martial art, Taekwondo. You know, no matter what martial arts you go and train, you have to go. That's the only way you're going to get better. Um, for example, like Taekwondo, there's a certain way you need to stand, have your feet positioned, you know, to execute your kicks and your strikes. You know, there's going to be a lot of flexibility that's going to be needed to deliver those types of kicks and those spinning back punches and axe kicks. Um, where jujitsu, you know, the thing that drew me to it was that, you know, I saw this small guy, Hoist Gracie, you know, manhandle guys three, four times bigger than him, where he was giving up a lot of weight. And he, he didn't look like he was that muscular. You know, he looked like just an average guy that you would see walking down the street, but he knew how to move his body. He knew how to use leverage. And that's one of the things I tell people when they're like, oh, I'm not in shape. You know, I, you know, I, I got to wait maybe like six more months before I lose like another 10, 15 pounds before I'm ready to come in. And with jujitsu, you're going to get in shape by coming to class, by doing the exercises that we do that are jujitsu specific. And you can be, you know, 18 years old, um, you know, 120 pounds and be able to move a 45 year old male who outweighs you by 100 pounds um, just by drilling those techniques. Can you explain the belt system and how that works and what the prog yeah. progression to skill level is? Yeah, sure. So um, under Hobson Mora, uh, the head of our affiliate, he's uh, at the time of this video, eight time world champion, six degree black belt. Um, it's white, green, blue, purple, brown, black. He added the green because what he was seeing is that as guys and girls were training, they say that in the time it takes you to get a blue belt in jujitsu, um, you could have gotten a black belt in another martial art, which is true. When I trained Hapkido, um, I started when I was 18. I got my black belt before I was 21. In jujitsu, I was training at white belt, and it took me about five years, well, not five, about maybe three years. To get, uh, to get my blue belt. So I was a white belt for a year. I was a green belt for a little bit over a year. So just under three years to get that blue belt. And, you know, a lot of schools have different systems that they use. You know, some schools would be like, hey, here's the curriculum that you need to know to, to get to your next belt. And we're going to do a test on this day where you have to drill and demonstrate all these techniques. At frequency, you know, I can only speak for, for my school. You know, we have that curriculum. So when you sign up, you get access to, hey, I'm a brand new white belt. What are the things that I need to know to go to green? We don't want to overwhelm you with this is what you need to get to green. This is what you need to get to blue all the way to black. Let's just focus on the baby steps. So as you come to class, we kind of hide those reps in. So whether you're a brand new white belt or you are a black belt, you know, those techniques you're going to be doing as long as you're training jujitsu. So we hide those in. So we don't make a big announcement. Hey, this is a basic green belt technique that you need to know. We just work that positioning in. And then throughout, you know, the quarter, we'll be like, hey, we're going to do a green, a white to green belt workshop at the school on Saturday. Um, you come on in, ask any questions that you may have about those requirements. And you'll see teammates like, oh, I know all of this stuff. And it's great that they're familiar with it. Now it's how well are we able to execute it? And you'll have teammates who are, they're, they're like a sponge. They just absorb everything. Once they see it, they can implement it. And you have other teammates who are like, Hey, it's going to take me a while to start implementing the movements, getting my body in the right position. So you have some guys who progress faster than others. Um, but the big thing is every time you come to class, you're making some sort of progress. And then obviously, you know, if you go and you compete and you're competing against individuals at your rank, at your weight division, and you're constantly finishing 
on the podium, you know, you're winning first place all the time. Now you have to look at it, it's like, well, the trajectory of your your progress is is going higher. So maybe instead of it taking you two years to get to blue, maybe you're there in a year. Um, but we also look to see, you know, how you are acting with teammates. You know, the big fear people have when they're trying something new is they don't want to suck at it, really. Right. You, know, you want to come in and you want to, you know, be the best. Well, that's where jujitsu humbles you right in the beginning. Um, you know, so you know, as you're training, you're making that progress, you may have guys who started six months after you get promoted faster than you. And that's just because of their mentality, their work ethic, and, you know, their memory. I mean, there are times, I mean, I've been trained 15 years. I'll have someone ask me a question and I'm, I'm just dumbfounded. I'm like, I, I have no idea. Show me the position that you're talking about. And they would set it up. I'm like, oh, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about now, now that I've seen it. So that's the thing I always tell people is that, you know, you know, don't compare yourself to everyone else who's on the mats. Compare yourself to where you were last week, last month. And, you know, just understand that it's the job of our senior teammates to work with new teammates so that when they walk out our front door, they want to come back as soon as possible to learn versus, you know, my shoulder is sore. My neck is sore. You know, all they did was beat me up. Um, we've all been, you know, that new student. And, you know, if it wasn't for the teammates that we had that made it inviting, that helped us along the way, uh, we may not be here today. Now, you have a really strong email marketing campaign that you do on a regular basis. Where do you come up with all the information for that? And you have this very specific philosophy about teamwork and helping each other out. And it's okay to be new. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, definitely. So before I owned a jujitsu school, I've been working in marketing since 1999. Uh, I've been on air for several radio stations. Um, I made the move over to full-time sales, just taking the knowledge that helped grow frequency martial arts and sharing that with other business owners. So when I first started the school, you know, I didn't have an advertising budget. I knew it was important. So I invested what money I had in radio into a digital email software that you had mentioned. And then I kind of like, I spent like a good weekend just jotting down topics of, you know, what, what would I uh, have found beneficial, whether when I first started training jujitsu or when I was just thinking about jujitsu that would make it more inviting to come in. So, you know, I did a little bit of that. And then when I moved to the new location, I had a much larger team. So I used them and I picked their brains and I asked them, you know, you guys have been training. Some of you've been training with me for three years. Some of you've been training me with a month. What are some things that you would like to share with potentially new teammates that would make them eager to come through the door and in essence, roll around with a total stranger who's trying to choke them, who's trying to show them how to escape arm bars. So I picked their brain and a lot of them had similar concepts, similar stories that they would like to share. And jujitsu brings so many people together. Um, you know, so I started thinking about, you know, the head of our affiliation, Hobson Mora. You know, he's based out of Tampa, Florida. Every year he holds a camp down in Tampa and every year he comes to Frequency Martial Arts. And I just thought, well, if people could start learning about him before those workshops, they're going to be more relaxed when he comes in. Um, he's probably the nicest, most humblest person um, you'll ever meet. And I mean, that's jujitsu is his life. He, you know, he changes people's lives for the better. So I incorporate some of his stories in, um, you know, I ask teammates to share their story. We have one of our coaches, April Blair. She now leads the youth program at a time when you, you hear those stories, like when you're a kid, how like, the pro football player, you know, 
messed up his knee or shoulder because, you know, he tripped over his dog. And you're like, how does that happen? Well, when you're 45 years old and you've got two dogs and you trip over one of your dogs and you, you tweak your knee, you're like, oh, I see how that was possible to be done. Um, so I had to have um, my knee fixed. And it wasn't like a major issue. It's just that it would just kept swelling. So they had to remove uh, the bursa sac because the way that I hit it on our floor, it was just so much shock that the the um, the bursa sac would just constantly keep swelling. So rather than doing cortisone shots to um, keep it from swelling every six months, you know, the best option was um, to have the bursa sac itself removed. Well, during that process, April stepped in and took over the kids program and she has done an amazing job. So I had her share her story of what it was like to be a woman to step into the facility where it's 98% men and get on the mats, work jujitsu techniques with total strangers, and then transcend into now I'm a coach. Now I'm sharing these techniques with, you know, five to 13 year olds who are eventually, as long as they stick with it, they're going to go into the adult program and be miles ahead of anybody that joins the adult program because they've been going through those movements, you know, for anywhere from three to eight years in the kids program. So I use all of that for, for the marketing. I love what you said a little bit before that, it, what you're doing when you bring everybody together, you're inspiring people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think for so many of us, we're looking for that connection. We're looking for that sense of community. And I think going to frequency martial arts is a great way to be able to create and cultivate that. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, you know, jujitsu, it's not easy. I always tell people that the atmosphere created by the coaches and the teammates, that's what makes learning jujitsu easy whether you've been away from martial arts and you're looking to get back in or you're starting it for the first time we typically set our adults up with a one-on-one -on -one class with one of our coaches they work with them privately on our second mat room and they do that for about a half an hour nice way to break the ice reduce the butterflies if you will and then they come into the main class and work on the lesson plan that the team is working on and, you know, everything from, you know, the cleanliness of the mats, the facility, it's all a team effort. So, you know, they take pride in that. If they've got somebody that comes in who isn't familiar with our health hygiene safety protocols and, you know, maybe their, their geese dry, but it's, you know, it just smells the body or it's like, hey, you know what, for the safety of our team, we're not going to allow you to wear that on the mats. You know, we could grab you a loner gi. And you can put that on because we don't want to shun anyone away um, from training. But if there are issues with health and hygiene, you know, the team's safety and health is uh, the top priority. Long before COVID, you know, our, our policy was that if someone in your house wasn't feeling well, nobody from the house came to train. Um, I was on Facebook. I saw one of our, our parents talking about how they had to go to school, pick their child up because their child was you know, getting sick and they showed up to jujitsu later that night. And I'm like, why are you here? And she said that, well, you know, I'm here to train jujitsu. Like, well, you were on Facebook several hours ago talking about how your kid was throwing up. You, you can't be here. I said, no, I feel fine. I'm good to train. And, you know, I put my foot down and, you know, some unpleasantries that she had said, but I'm like, this is our policy. I can't risk the safety of the other team. So she laughed. And the next morning, she's on Facebook talking about how she's been up since three o'clock in the morning growing oh. up, you know. So, again, it's just one of those things where we preach it at the end of every class, but it's really up to the team and the coaches to enforce it. Yeah, for sure. And good for you for paying attention to that and then sticking to your guns. That's awesome. What role does sparring, rolling in jujitsu play in training? And then what do you do to ensure the safety for the students? So sparring is where you are, you and your teammate are both trying to get to a dominant position where in class, let's say, you know, we're working arm bars 
Well, if I'm drilling the arm bar, my teammate is allowing me to put them in the position so I understand how my head has to move, how my hips need to move, where my legs need to be, and how I still control their posture and their arm. When it comes to rolling, if I'm trying to do that arm bar, they are pulling their arms away from me. They are posturing. They're trying to get away from my legs. So I'm trying to implement the techniques that I'm familiar with against somebody who doesn't want me to have any control of them whatsoever while trying to remain on the offensive. If they get ahead of me and I got to start playing a defensive game, now I got to look at how do I get back into a controlling situation so I can start working the techniques that I'm familiar with. When teammates first come in, you know, we always partner them with a high-ranking teammate. It is not the job of our blue belts, our purple belts, our brown belts, and our black belts to use the new teammates as quote-unquote training dummies. Their role is to help them get comfortable in uncomfortable positions. So they're going at about maybe 20, 30 percent intensity when they are rolling with them. So that helps reduce the injury uh, factors, because if you put two new white belts together and they don't know 100 percent how they're supposed to secure an armbar and you have the other teammate not really sure which way they're supposed to move to defend the armbar, that's when you're going to have injuries. So we always pair new teammates up with high-ranked teammates, and then we also have a coach or two that are floating around, you know, making sure that in a roll situation, you know, they're not rolling too close to the edge of the mats. They're not rolling too close to other teammates who are rolling. And, you know, we feel that's done a really good job at, one, helping teammates who are new get comfortable with the idea of, hey, someone is trying to, arm bar me, control me, and I need to protect myself to where as time progresses, now they're rolling with more confidence. They have a better understanding of how their body is supposed to move to one, avoid submissions, but two, how to get out of them. And that's really hard because for many people, their bodies have never moved in that way. They've never been challenged to that degree. And that can be really hard. And like you said before, very humbling. Yeah, it's humbling. And it also teaches patience. Like, A lot of people are, you know, really shocked that I don't have a beginner's class and an advanced level class. You know, and I just get that from Hobson. You know, everyone trains together. If I were to have 10 white belts on the mat and that's all they worked with were just brand new people until they hit, you know, blue belt. And then they went off and they trained with blue belts on up. Their progression would be slowed down. At the same time, you know, jujitsu teach you, teaches you patience to where you, when you are a blue belt, when you're a purple belt, a brown belt, a black belt, and you're working with teammates who don't have as much experience as you, you have to break down the movements and explain to them, hey, this is why I keep my guard closed. This is why my foot is going on your hip. And this is why I pulled your arm across my chest. Now I'm able to get into the armbar position where, you know, I'm just teaching my oldest daughter how to drive. And I relate jujitsu to driving. I've been doing jujitsu for 15 years. I take a lot of the movements for granted. She said, I've been doing it for so long. And when you're teaching someone to drive, it's like, okay, this is why we check the mirrors. This is why we shift into reverse and back off the driveway. Uh, this is why we do the speed limit. This is why we use our turn signal. All these little things that if you've been driving for a long period of time, you take for granted, just get in your car and go. Um, And if all the black belts did was train with black belts and brown belts and purple belts, they would just jump on the mats, warm up for five minutes and go and not really reinforce the small little details that they need to get better grips to have better chokes, to get better escapes. Like, oh yeah, I have to lift my hips on an angle to move my opponent's body weight versus, oh, I just do it because that's the way I've always done for 15 years. It's really great from a coaching standpoint because it allows you to get other people into the fold 
and making this stuff happen for you. So you have eyes everywhere on the mat, even though you might not be seeing everything that's happening in the moment. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the great things, too, about jujitsu. Like, you know, pretty much every other sport that you may be familiar with, there is a way to do it. You know, there is, you know, a way to hit a baseball. There's a way to throw a fastball. When you hit the ball, you have to run to first. You know, you can't just run to third. In jujitsu, I may show you a technique, but based off of your body type, your skill set, your opponent's body type, you have to, you may have to make small adaptations to find success. And that's where, you know, having several coaches throughout the week teaching the same technique, their version of the technique, if you will, it allows teammates to see that, hey, while, you know, Professor Ed teaches it this way, Coach James does it this way, Coach Brianna does it a little bit differently. I'm more built like Coach Brianna, and I find it easier when I do it her way. Hey, man, that's that's great. You know, you're not going to have a coach uh, standing over you telling you that you did it wrong. If the idea is to control your opponent and apply that submission, if you turn your hips a little differently, your arms in a little different position, as long as you're finding success with it, you're good. You know, and then, you know, maybe somewhere down the road, people start figuring out what your move is and they start seeing it ahead of time or they do a better job defending it. Now you're like, oh, man, this move doesn't work anymore. It's like, no, the move still works. You just got to find a different way of setting it up and, and getting into it. Another thing that I like that you do is that you encourage people who have the lower level belts to be a part of the kids class and to teach them as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So our youth program, we have teammates from five to 13 um, training. And we break down a move of the month that they're going to drill every single class. And then every week we have a move of the week that plays off of that move of the month. And one of the things that I tell the kids is that, you know, there's a lot of ways we learn jujitsu. We learn jujitsu by coming to practice. We learn jujitsu by watching other people do jujitsu. We learn jujitsu by talking about jujitsu and we learn jujitsu just by listening. So when I have new adults, I always say, it's like, hey, you know, I don't care if it's your first day or you've been training for, you know, 10 years. If you come to the kids class and you hear the coach talking over and over, this is where your hand needs to be. This is where your foot needs to go. When you are rolling in the adult class, you're like, oh, this is a similar position that the kids have been in all, all week. If I control their wrist, they can't get head control on me. If I sit up, and I put my armpit on top of their shoulder, I have the ability to come back around and look for, you know, head control and a choke. And we have seen teammates who have come to the kids class and they still come to the kids class just to be extra set of eyes when, you know, Coach April says right hand in the cross collar. Well, if they see the child doing the cross collar grip with the left hand, it's like, hey, this is good. This will work. But for the drilling and the following of the instructions, we want to make sure we get that right hand in that collar. So as you're helping the teammates go into those positions, like I said earlier, when you're rolling, like, oh, yeah, I got to have a hand in the cross collar. I can't have a same collar grip to find success. I got to go across so I'm underneath their jawline. So if they're trying to put pressure on me, you know, it's difficult for them. You're wiring it in and it mm -hmm. allows you to connect the dots. Exactly. For so many people, you get to a place where you might be doing really well. You, you started to pick up some momentum, but then you hit a plateau and that plateau can last for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell someone who's hit that plateau and they're just trying to make it to that next level? Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, when I had Hobson come in, um, that was one of the things that I asked him. You, you've got somebody who comes in and they, they're training the training and then they hit that wall, they hit that plateau. You know, I always tell people, jot down your training notes, what you want to get better at, whether it's an old school notebook or it's an app on your phone. And, you know, let's say for the sake of simplicity, you're working on move A and you're doing really good with move A, you're drilling it really well. You're catching it during your sparring sessions, but three months down the road, 
you hit that wall. People are defending it better. You're not as successful with it during your live rounds. And you just feel like, man, I'm not getting any better. Where you got to look at the flip side, right? Your job as a teammate is to help your teammates get better. Because if I can do the same move over and over on you, I'm not getting better. I'm relying on, hey, this always works. I'm going to do it. I'm not expanding the options that I have to either defend a technique or to execute a technique for the submission. So when you hit that plateau, you know, make a note of it. It's like, hey, you know, I can no longer hit move A. All right, well, let's look at the other things that you wanted to get better at. When was the last time you tried move B and C? Oh, never, because I was always successful with move A. Okay, well, as you're trying move A and you know it's not working, how quickly can you transition to move B, move C? And understand that every time you come through the doors and you step on the mats, you're making progress. It may not be you know, the progress that you were making when you first started out, because when you first started out, you didn't really know how to move. You know, so a year down the road, you know, you've got the bridging, the shrimping down, um, you know, you've got your scissor sweep, your cross collar chokes down. Well, now people know that, hey, if it's not a scissor sweep, it's a cross collar choke. And they're prepared to defend that before you guys even slap hands and bump knuckles. So now it's that plateau. Okay, well, they're blocking my scissor sweep. Can I look for other sweep options from here to, to put them on their back? Um, the cross-collar choke's not working. Well, the way I have it set up, can I easily transition from a cross-collar choke to an arm bar? And if they defend the arm bar, can I transition quickly back to the cross-collar choke? And just being honest with yourself, like, man, you know, I went to class today. I tried 10 cross-collar chokes. I didn't get any of them. Okay, well, the next time you're at class, how many cross-collar chokes you went for? I went for 10. How many did you hit? I hit five. Okay, so you're making progress. I mean, you hit that little valley where you didn't hit any, but now you're climbing out. It's just that humbling experience where there are going to be days you're the hammer, and then there's going to be a lot of days when you're the nail. Those mental blocks can just be so difficult because you, you're right. You hit that one thing, and then you become a one-trick pony where it's like, you know, I, I do this every time. It's what's easiest. I've never had any resistance to it. And maybe now you're hitting that resistance and recognizing that, oh, you know, I need to learn an alternative way to do this. Exactly. You know, and that's the great thing about, you know, our classes where we try to do a theme for several weeks um, to give you different looks. And again, if that first option is always there, hey, great. But. As you get more comfortable with it, start playing with the other options because eventually there is going to be a time when your A game doesn't work and you've got to have options to improve your position. For a lot of people, jiu-jitsu can be, they get interested in it because of the competition aspect. So what are some ways that you would prepare somebody who's more interested in going the competition route? Yeah, you know, I really talk to people about what their goals are, you know, and if you guys want to compete, Hey, that's great, but let's plan it long-term, right? I'm not a fan of guys who just start training and then three weeks later, they're signing up for their first competition because especially as an adult and you've never done any sort of combat sports before, while you go to a tournament and you're only going to compete against individuals that are in your weight class at your skill level, there is nothing in the rules that says, oh, you are a 155-pound jiu-jitsu white belt. Great. They don't ask, how long have you been training judo? How long have you been wrestling, right? I've gone to tournaments where, you know, my opponent grabbed me, and the way they grabbed my collar, I'm just like, you are not a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. And he just threw me all over the mats. Afterwards, I'm like, hey, you know, how long have you been training jujitsu? Like, oh, I've only been training jujitsu for like six months, and you're a blue belt. He's like, yeah, I'm actually uh, on the verge of getting my black belt in judo. I'm like, oh, understand why you were just getting grips and throwing me all over the place because that's what you've been doing for the past twenty plus years, you know. So we we don't we don't require teammates to go compete. If you want to go compete, 
all right, let's set up your game plan. Are you going to play from the bottom on your back? Are you going to look for a takedown and play from the top? And then remind them that you're not going to get better sitting on the couch. You know, you've got to come to class. You've got to do the lessons. We don't change the class structure because we have two, five guys going to compete. We will, at the end of class, put the five individuals or the two individuals or however many are going to go compete and put them on the mat and say, hey, here's the scenario. You know, the teammates on the mat, they're competing. They have full guard. There's 30 seconds left in the match. They're up by one. Your job in those 30 seconds is to pass their guard. Their job is to maintain, and if they feel that they've got a sweep, go for the sweep. Because, you know, while we stress to them, you know, submission is important in the tournaments because then you don't have to worry about points. A lot of times, you know, you'll go to the point system. And the last thing you want is it to be tied. And now it goes to the ref. And the ref has to decide who the winner is. And if you're playing bottom and the referee likes to play the top game, you know, the ref might favor for the other guy saying, hey, look, you couldn't sweep him. You couldn't submit him in the full guard. So we're going to give the match to your opponent. Likewise, you could have, you know, a referee who likes to play from the bottom and he may look at your match going, well, that person couldn't pass your guard. You did a great job maintaining the guard. So you win. Um, but again, if it, if you can't get the submission, we definitely want you to have, you know, the strategy so you can be up on points. So it never goes to a referee. I think it's also important to note, we talk a lot about this, but leverage over brute force, it's kind of a philosophy for life. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, we learned it early on as kids. You know, you, your parents got you the toys to put the square peg in the round hole and say it doesn't work. You know, you're going to keep smashing it. So find the round peg and put that in the hole and put the square peg in the square hole. Because when you try to force something, that's when you're going to have injuries. And the great thing about jujitsu is, you know, we talked about it before. It's humbling. I've had individuals that were in the access of 250 pounds um, come in, they would do an intro class. And it was one of our female coaches that was available to do the intro class. And they were just like, I can't believe I couldn't use my weight against them. It's like, no, it's when you're trying to do one thing, they're moving their hips and their feet another way to get leverage on you to put you in a bad predicament. And now you're wasting a lot of energy and you're tiring yourself out while they are just maintaining a pace and a steady heart rate by controlling their breathing. So, yeah, in a street fight, strength is going to come into play, right? But also at the same time, if you are good at jujitsu, you're going to know how to use that strength against them. You're going to know how to close the distance, make them feel uncomfortable, have them exert a lot more energy. And they get tired out. You know, we've had individuals that have come in and they've boasted about the Ironmans that they've been involved with and all the running and the lifting that they do. Well, when you've got someone who's 135 pounds on your back that's trying to get your arm, that's trying to get your neck, you know, all that lifting, all that running, it's a totally different uh, kind of cardio. So, yeah, you don't. Yeah, have you'll to end up getting gassed real quick. Yeah, you know, and it and it happens. You know, we just the other night we were doing a a role session to help some teammates that are getting ready for tournaments. And one of the guys who was training is like, "Hey, I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta catch my breath." Like, well, if you gotta stop and catch your breath, <laughs> Time out. that's a verbal tap. You're out. We're gonna bring another teammate in to work um, with the competitor. And again, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, how do I get my cardio better? Come to class dip your toe into more rolling sessions. And we've seen teammates who've come in and they really, you know, at first, you know, they were there for like the month and then they disappeared for three months. And then they came back and it was, okay, I'm going to start going to the kids class, being second set of eyes for the coaches. And I'm going to come to two classes a week. And two classes became three, three became four. And we've seen them drop close to 30 pounds. So again, you, you get 
what you put in uh, on the jujitsu mats. Now, do you do any type of breathwork practices to help with students and their ability to stay longer on the mat? I personally work on my breathing when I'm doing yoga. And then when we are rolling or just drilling and you hear a teammate puffing and puffing, it's like, man, this is just a drill, right? Just relax, breathe in, breathe out. If you can't breathe, you can't armbar me. If you can't breathe, you can't hit the choke on me. So we try to get them to control their breathing. We do some things that are called flow rolls, where instead of doing the traditional line drills that you have in class that are jujitsu specific, you and your partner will team up and you'll basically play human chess, where I'm letting you do your move, you let me do the counter. And we just go back and forth. So that's a great way to work on your breathing. It's a great way to understand how moves and counters work with one another, you know, and then if there is someone who after maybe six months is still having issues, then we just have them focus just on, on breathing meditation. Like if you will, like when we're doing our stretching as work, count to your head to 10, nice and slow, but focus on your breathing as you're, you're leaning into the stretch. I love that. I actually picked up a tool from Boss Booten. I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen these. It's the O2 trainer. And I'm not affiliated with this, but on one side you have a little cap that has a hole in it. And then on the other side is a flap that as you breathe out, the flap will open. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to train those intercostal muscles, create that resilience to that external stress when you're on the mat, when you're rolling, when you're running, when you're doing any type sure. of, of physical activity. For so many of us, we breathe in and out through the mouth, and that just puts us in a really stressful state. And mm-hmm. you are you are going to gas out a whole lot faster than if you start primarily focusing on that nasal breathing and getting those deep nasal breaths as you do it. Yeah, when you see a guy stick his mouth guard out, you know that yeah, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't talk about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu without talking about first responders. Yeah. How important, because there's been a shift where I think more and more agencies are, are looking towards Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. What have you seen and what are the benefits? Well, one, the benefits are immense. We talked about one teammate who's lost 30 pounds. Let's be honest, you know, we've seen police officers that you're like, Man, they are out of shape. Jiu-jitsu is going to help them lose the weight. But the problem that you have is you have older officers who have been on the force who, again, like we talked about earlier, learning something new isn't easy. So you have these officers that come in, and I've experienced it firsthand. They've come in, and they think they are fit. They think they can cuff anybody and they're like, you know what? I'm tired of being choked out by dad bods. It's like, okay, now they disappear. You know, the bad guys on the street, you know, they're going to be all shapes and sizes. If you could come in on the mats and learn from mistakes and have a better understanding of how your body moves to get your breathing in control when you are on patrol and you are in an altercation, you're going to be less stressed when you are there. You know, I've talking to some police departments that have in-house training because they focus on what they can do versus what they shouldn't be doing. And I told them, I go, your officers come in. I'm not changing the way that I teach because you're a police officer and you can't apply chokeholds. If a criminal puts your officer in a chokehold, your officer needs to know how to get out of that chokehold without having to rely on deadly force. Because if someone puts your hands on your neck from what the officer told me, that's them using deadly force. So they are justified to use their firearm. We want to avoid that. We want them to be able to protect their firearm. So if you have your firearm holstered on your right hip and you're constantly on the jujitsu mats turning to your left side, Well, your firearm is going to be exposed. If you train yourself that muscle memory, get my right hip on the mat. So now in this physical altercation, it's difficult for the attacker to get to my firearm because it's pinned between my hip and the ground. They're going to be better off. We also talk about 
the injuries that they're having, whether it's from the altercations on work or just the training that they do in-house. So if you have officers who are training two to three times a week at a jujitsu school, they're going to be in better shape. And I brought that up to uh, one of the chiefs that I was speaking with was that how many of the injuries that you're dealing with are individuals who train jujitsu on a regular basis? He said none. So again, while you are working the techniques for curing, controlling a subject, looking to put them in cuffs and restraints, you get the muscle memory of how your body is supposed to be moving on the jujitsu mat. So I think it's very important for first responders, whether it's police officers, firefighters, medical personnel. I just saw a video the other day of a woman at the hospital ran behind the counter and attacked a nurse. If you are dealing with people, uh, I think it's important for you to know how to defend yourself because we live in scary times. And for so many people, they've just never been challenged in that way. Yeah. And and so they just don't know how to respond. And so you have to give yourself the tools or at least begin to teach yourself how to instead of react. Right. Because we're very reactionary to a lot of things that happen in our environment. But to actually have the knowledge, the know how you've wired in these tools, you you have this experience, you have some resilience, confidence, self-esteem. You've improved your mindset. You're physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually more inclined to handle difficult situations when you allow yourself in a closed setting. It is super helpful by the, the coaches that are there and the people that are putting the effort into you uh, in that community that you're able to respond to these things as they happen. Definitely. Um, you know, I've had stories of, you know, officers who signed up, they never came to classes and then, you know, they're, their coworkers shared a story that, hey, they had to have backup call because they had cuffed the subject, but the subject had spun around on them and fell on top of them and pinned them in a way that, you know, they couldn't get out from underneath them. You know, the subject was much bigger than the officer in question. Um, but if you come to class, you do enough bridging, you do enough shrimping, you know how to move to get out from somebody, especially when. They don't have the ability to use their hands um, to control your arms or legs. So if you are, you know, a law enforcement officer, if you are, you know, a first responder, um, I highly recommend you find a jujitsu school that you could go and train at that fits your schedule. What suggestions would you have for somebody outside of the gym? So they're training, they're doing the work, but what are some things they can do outside the gym to, to help themselves? Nutrition. Nutrition is huge. Um, you could come in and you could train four times a week, get a great workout in. But, you know, if you're not getting you know, the right amount of sleep to recover, if you're not eating, you know, a well-balanced diet, if you're just going home, drinking sodas, eating pizzas till, you know, 10 o'clock at night, then you're up till three o'clock in the morning playing video games. You know, all the work that you're putting in on the mats you know, you're not going to see results from. But if you take your nutrition seriously as you're taking your training on the mats, um, that's when you're really going to see the results because we talked about being winded, right? Well, you know, if you've got an extra 20 pounds that you're carrying around, you know, yeah, if you come to jujitsu, you're going to put a dent in it. But if you combined training jujitsu three times a week with, portion control. And once you've got your portion control down, now it's like, oh, you know what? Let me make healthier food choices. That Those 20 pounds are going to come off faster. Now when you're on the mats, you're not getting winded because you're not carrying around uh, that extra weight. Um, and then as you start seeing the results, you just got to remind yourself, what did you do to get to this point where you feel better about yourself physically, mentally. It's like, oh, I train three times a week. I'm watching what I'm eating. And I'm not talking about like getting crazy and, you know, measuring everything. But hey, when you're full, you're full. Stop eating. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, at least people my age, you know, in their, their mid 40s, maybe even older, you know, our parents always told us, you know, finish what's on your plate, finish what's on your plate. 
Um, man, I'm a fan of leftovers. So if I cook a big meal, portion control, all right, now this is going to be my lunch for tomorrow. And then, you know, meal prepping is done. Um, but yeah, if you are looking to start jujitsu, come to class, right? And then I tell people, don't get overboard with it. Train twice a week. Let your body get used to the way that you're moving because you will be sore. Um, on the days you don't train, incorporate the stretching that we do, right? You're never going to be in a bad spot if you spend, you know, 30 minutes a day stretching. I would avoid doing multiple workouts in a day. I wouldn't go to a traditional gym and lift weights and then 30 minutes later be on the jujitsu mats. That's just me personally speaking, because at the gym, you're lifting weights, you're putting wear and tear, you know, on your ligaments, on your muscles, they're torn down, they need time to recover. And now you're jumping on the jujitsu mats where, you know, you're going to be put into positions that aren't natural. Um, so it's easy, like if you do shoulder presses or bench pressing, and then you come into jujitsu and we're working shoulder lock manipulations. Well, now your your pack and your shoulders aren't as strong as they were, so you're at a greater risk of injury. Um, plus, you know, and our school's policy is a hygiene issue. You know, you're you're working up a sweat at one facility, and you're bringing that bacteria into this facility, which we don't want. So go home, shower, come back and train jujitsu the next day. Ed, I can't thank you enough for taking the time with me today and telling us about Frequency Martial Arts. Where can people find you both on social media and in the real world? Yeah, um, Frequency Martial Arts, um, Facebook, Instagram, um, all the links are at FrequencyMartialArts.com. There you can read blogs uh, about teammates, the benefits of jujitsu. And um, we're at 18 Currency Drive, Suite A in Bloomington. All that info is right there on the website. I love it. Guys, make sure you sign up for Frequency Martial Arts newsletter. You're not going to be disappointed in receiving that on a daily or weekly basis. I'm not sure how often they come in, but it's highly motivational and provides you with a lot of tools that you're probably missing. Thank you for the time. Hell yeah, man.